me start with a true story. If you were a sailor in the Navy and you wanted to become a Marine, or in the US Navy, you'd be wanting to become a Navy SEAL. There's a series of brutal, gruelling tests and trials that you have to undergo. And the last week of those tests and trials is called Hell Week, um, for obvious reasons, because it is the most gruelling part of this process. And the final test is an overnight swim. And there was this sailor called Bryce, and if he could pass this test, it, he would be fulfilling a life's dream, an ambition he'd, he'd been holding. He'd worked really hard to get this far. And it was a test of endurance. He wanted so badly to become a Navy SEAL. Now, two-thirds of the sailors by this stage had already dropped out. They'd already failed after many weeks of harsh tests and trials. But Bryce, he was determined. And he had to swim overnight for many hours. And uh, he had to cope with the, the cold, the lack of sleep, the hypothermia. He had to battle through all of these things. And he was so close the next morning as he was approaching that shore he was probably within 50 meters or so. And he had that sense of anticipation that he's going to make it. But then something dramatic happened to him. His body just packed up. He hit the wall. His body just suddenly couldn't do any more. And he started to slip under the water. He had nothing more to give. And he was so close to that finishing line. Mentally, emotionally, physically, he was completely spent. Just nothing in the tank. He completely run out of fuel. His body had reached its limits. And however hard he willed himself, his body just wouldn't respond. All that hard work over the weeks of tests and trials. It was all about to end in failure because he'd just come completely to the end of himself. And as he started to sink in the sea, he looked up and he saw his friend and his fellow recruit, Mark, and he'd already made it to the shore. Mark was on that beach. He was exhausted, but he'd achieved his goal. And he looked back into the water and he saw his friend and he saw Bryce was struggling with the exhaustion, and he was about to give up. He saw Bryce sinking, and he knew what was going to happen next, because if Bryce raised his hand, that was the signal that he was quitting, and it would be over. And then what happened was remarkable. Mark started to fist pump, screaming at Bryce. That sailor on the shore, Mark, he locked eyes with Bryce's eyes. He got that connection, that contact. And he looked deep into his friend, who he knew was about to give up. And he started shouting something like, come on, you can do it, you've got this. 
And the effect was amazing. From somewhere within him, Bryce found this, this new energy. It was like he discovered a reserve that he couldn't access any other way. And he began to swim for the, to the beach those last few meters. You know, that reserve, that extra energy was somehow triggered by that encouragement from his friend on the beach who believed in him. You know, I imagine Mark screaming at the top of his voice, jumping up and down, come on, you can do it. You've got this. And finally, Bruce, not Bruce, Bryce, finally he'd made it. Despite all the odds, he'd managed to get out of the water onto that beach. Can you imagine the embrace those two guys would have had? The joy, the overwhelming emotions for both of them. They got to the shore. They completed the test. And Bryce in particular, he'd made it because of his friend. He'd achieved his goal. He became a Navy SEAL. Where would you place yourself in that story? Which character would you be in your life right now? Are you the person at sea, struggling to swim, feeling exhausted, at the end of yourself, about to quit? You've got nothing left. Life is just hard for you right now. You're covering it up well, People don't know what's going on inside. You put on a brave face being here tonight, maybe. But underneath, you've got anxieties. You're facing trials and tests and and you're sensing you're not going to make it. Or are you that person on the beach? You've lived through trials and tests in life. And you're in a place to encourage and spur on others. To celebrate them. To call out greatness from them. You know, probably we've all been there. We've been both of these characters at times. Needing encouragement and other times being the encourager. And there's two characters in the Bible that I want to look at tonight, Paul and Timothy. And they were like these two Navy SEALs in the story. Paul was the encourager and Timothy needed encouragement. Paul He was the apostle to the Gentiles and he had that famous encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road where he heard Jesus asking him, why are you persecuting me? And he was blinded and then days later he was healed. He'd been persecuting Christians and then he became a champion of the gospel. And Paul lived for the gospel at this point. After his encounter with Jesus, that's all that became important to him. He planted churches and his passion was to make sure those churches were healthy. Timothy, he had a Greek dad and his mother was a Jewish Christian. And he was with Paul on many missionary journeys. He saw Paul plant churches and preach the gospel in hostile circumstances and situations. Paul was like a spiritual dad to Timothy. And Timothy was this younger man who was timid, 
But Paul was really fond of him. Timothy was like a son to Paul. He needed a lot of encouragement to carry out the work in the church in Ephesus that Paul had planted and Paul had left Timothy to complete um, some work before he could leave and join Paul in Rome. Timothy was struggling to ensure that the church had sound teaching. And the word, the Greek word that's used there for sound actually means healthy. So Timothy was under pressure to make sure that the teaching was healthy. But also, Paul wanted Timothy to develop quality leaders and make sure that the church had quality leadership before it could be passed on to the local elders. And the Apostle Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy while he was in prison for the second time, just months before he would be martyred in Rome. Let me read from 2 Timothy, starting at verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see, during this time, the church in Ephesus was facing persecution under the emperor Nero's reign. And it was a scary time for Timothy. It would have been a scary time for any member of that church. 2 Timothy, verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So even in the face of persecution, Paul is trying to reassure and inspire Timothy that he has everything he needs to do the work of raising up quality leaders and ensuring that the teaching is sound, that the teaching is healthy. So he's reminding Timothy that he has the Holy Spirit within him. So he's sort of saying, come on, you can do this. You've got this. Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. No, Timothy could easily have given up, letting fear overwhelm him and just the pressures of all the challenges that he faced in the life of the church. But Paul is writing to encourage him to be faithful and to be faith-filled. And there's a word there for us. We're being called by God, by his Holy Spirit within us to be faithful and faith-filled. Paul has great faith in Timothy. You know, Paul acknowledged Timothy as the co-sender of six of, the, of Paul's letters to churches in the New Testament. You'll find 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 uh, Thessalonians and Philemon all acknowledge that Timothy was a co-sender of those letters. It's amazing, really, the way Paul encouraged and empowered Timothy. So Paul, as the great encourager, Timothy, as the young man needing encouragement. You see, the harsh reality was that Paul had been through a lot. 
a great deal in his time. He'd been shipwrecked, beaten up, stoned and left for dead. But he was determined to preach the gospel no matter what the cost. He'd learned to be content in all circumstances, in plenty and in, uh, in scarcity. He'd surrendered security and luxury to pursue the call of Jesus on his life. He had a lot of experience and he would have grown in character. In fact, his experiences, his trials and the tests he'd gone through, they would have shaped him. You know, those difficulties that we all face, they're actually developing godly character in us. And he'd endured many a tough season. He was in a great position to encourage and spur on Timothy, spurring, on, spurring him on to greatness, calling out greatness from him. You see, Paul saw something special in Timothy, and he didn't want Timothy to settle for anything less than God's best for Timothy. He knew there'd be setbacks, um, and he knew that along the way it'd be difficult, but he wrote to Timothy to encourage him to press on to pursue what God had for him, despite all of the setbacks. So when we think of encouragement in our culture today, what comes to mind? I love the dictionary definition of encouragement. To cheer up, to uplift, to inspire, to stimulate, to invigorate, to affirm. They're just some of the words used in the dictionary to describe encouragement. And whatever age we are, the question I have for you is, who are we encouraging? Who are we building up? Who are we believing in? Who are the people in our lives that need that encouragement right now? You see, being an encourager, it's a lifestyle choice. It's not a feeling. The people that we can call greatness out of, who are they? I think the Lord wants you to look around, whether it's in work, your family, whatever the setting. In my life, my son-in-law, Will, he's a great guy. And... We arranged to meet up, and I, I just thought I was meeting up with him just to help with the two kids that they've got, young kids. And we had a great day together, and I just found myself naturally telling him what I saw in him, the attributes that he has, the qualities. Uh, they're astonishing in such a young guy. And I, you know, for me, it was just a conversation, but for him, it, it seemed to really impact him. And it was such a joy to do, but it, it wasn't something I planned. It's just part of relating to him and then Helen threw one of her parties recently uh, and they're great we had, we had lots of people that don't know Jesus um, that we know through the gym and a lot of the, the personal trainers and it was fabulous but at half one in the morning I was thinking I want you just to all go home just I'm too old for this so I just wandered out and uh, sat outside on the, just on some of the chairs and just thought, oh, they'll go away soon, surely. 
And then the next thing I know, there's about five young men sitting around me. I just looked up and thought, no. <laughs> this is never going to end. And, um, and a conversation just began, and I just found myself drawing them out and, and facilitating them, talking to each other. One had asked me a question, the other would answer. I was watching this, and suddenly I came alive again. And um, it was fabulous. And, but I wasn't ready for it, really. And I think, but it's such a joy to do. And I think the Lord just wants us to be a bit more ready in our lives for this. We all need to encouragement and we all need to give it. Thomas Edison himself said in a rare interview published in November 1907, one day I overheard the teacher tell the inspector that I was adult, meaning sort of mentally subnormal, and it would, be, it would not be worthwhile keeping me at school any longer. I was so hurt by this last straw that I burst out crying and went home and told my mother about it. Then I found out what a good thing a good mother is. She came out as my strong defender. Mother love was aroused. My mother's pride was wounded to the quick. She brought me back to school and angrily told the teacher that he didn't know what he was talking about that I had more brains than he himself, and a lot more talk like that. <laughs> Can you imagine? In fact, she was the most enthusiastic champion a boy ever had, and I determined right then that I would be worthy of her and show her that her confidence was not misplaced. Do you know, Thomas Edison, he invented the light bulb, but he, he, was, he became a great inventor. He did so much more. And, and he really had an impact on the world around him. And it tracks back to that belief and encouragement that came from his mother. Now, I want to particularly encourage those of us that are a bit older. And in this setting, it's probably those of us that are in our 40s and 50s plus. And I listened to a podcast by Pete Scazzaro recently, and he wrote that Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that many of us have been reading. It's a great book. And when he was 56, which was five years ago, he was asked by his coach, by his mentor, who was in his 70s, what decade in your life do you think will be your most fruitful and let me ask you that question. What decade in your life do you think will be your most youth, useful, fruitful? Now, he was surprised by the answer, and I think many of you might be, because his mentor said to him, your most fruitful decade will be your 60s, your second most fruitful will be your 70s, and your third, your 50s. He's now 61. And that is proving to be true for him. But whatever our age, I believe God wants to say to us, to all of us, the best is yet to come. So if you're in your 20s or, or younger and you're here, or in your 30s, and life's going well and everything's smooth for you, great, enjoy that. 
But the best is still yet to come, and there will be trials and tests ahead, but the best is yet to come. God has not finished developing you. If life is not so great, I just want to encourage you, relax a bit. Don't take it all so seriously. You can't rush being developed by God, but the best is yet to come. You see, we have no idea of our potential as mature Christians, those of us who are sort of in that 40 plus zone, to invest in others and to draw out from them, you know, using the experience we've had, our faith story, our failures, to encourage and support the generations that are following us. Now, researchers tell us that most people maintain a learning attitude up until they're 40. And from that point on, they simply stop learning, content to settle and to live the rest of their lives with the limited knowledge of those first four decades. How tragic is that? And it doesn't have to be like that. We don't ever need to mentally check out and think game over and sleepwalk our way into retirement. One of the biggest dangers we face is comfort and entertainment. And I just want to say to you, they're toxic. If that's what you're living for, it's toxic. It will just drain the godly life out of you. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. As kingdom people, there's so much more. The generations following us need that encouragement. They need mentors, coaches, spiritual parents, loving families. The support that they can get from a loving family here at church. You know, within the church, those of us who might feel that we've failed, we might feel a little useless, a little redundant because we're drifting into that sort of 40 plus time of life. What we need is to realize that the church needs us. They need, the church needs our wisdom, our knowledge, our experience, our character, and so much more. We all need encouragement. Helen, my wife, was telling me the other day that she met up uh, with a guy to have a meeting about the arches. It was going to be a planning day for a day coming up. And she sat down expecting to, to do business. And this older guy began to encourage her. He'd actually prayed before meeting up and God had given him some words and some thoughts and he'd written them down and he handed them to Helen and it was a great encouragement. And he said, I want to call greatness out of you. It was a really profound moment and it was a, a moment of encouragement and it released things of God that he'd already put in her heart, but in her own strength, she couldn't access them. It needed that encouragement to release that reserve of energy. And she hadn't even realized it was there. Now, can you think of a time when someone has really encouraged you and the difference it made?
Maybe that was when you were a child. And it may have been your mom or your dad, a bit like Thomas Edison's mother. Or was it a teacher at school or another student? It could, it could be your boss or previous boss you've had, maybe a friend or even a grandparent. You see, encouragement is so powerful. It's life-giving. Timothy had a lot going on and he probably felt completely out of his depth and at times frustrated and struggling with failure. And sometimes events that seem like a failure to us, they can keep us from fulfilling our potential. Can you look back over your life and, and can you see a time when there was a failure on the horizon or you may have been in the midst of failing at something and it just stopped you pursuing that God-given dream that you had. And that dream has just been lying dormant in you. You've just thought, it's over. That, I miss that. But you see, failure is part of life. And it's to be embraced. We learn so much from failure. If I was going to write a book, I think it would be entitled something like The Failures in My Life. I've had so many. And through failure, many great people did and achieved many great things. Van Gogh failed as an art dealer, but he went on to sell paintings for millions of it's unfortunate that was all after his death. Prior to the dazzling um, world of, prior to dazzling the world with his athletic skills, Michael Jordan at college was dropped from the basketball team. In the Bible, Abraham lied. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob lied. Elijah burnt out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Thomas doubted. Moses had a temper. David committed adultery and murder. Now these men and women, God loved. And he used them mightily, despite their failures, despite what they lived through, because they didn't give up on pursuing the calling on their life, the dream that they had of serving God. Who have you got who's playing that role of encouraging you? Who might you need to seek out? Maybe someone who's at the life stage ahead of you. I would encourage you that we all need people who are coaches or mentors or spiritual directors in our lives and in some way. If you get isolated, we just spiral downwards. We need other people. Timothy had Paul, 2 Timothy 3 verse 10. This is Paul's final charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. 
You see, Paul and Timothy had obviously spent a lot of time together. They were a church, part of a church planting team and they planted a number of churches. Paul is an example to Tim. Fist pumping, cheering him on when Tim's struggling. Verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have come and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Timothy's struggling, but with Paul's encouragement, this younger man can make a stand for Jesus and face the evil that's going on in his culture at that time. Now I'm heading for 60, which I know is going to be a complete shock to many of you. Well, I'm a couple of years away from that. But I feel more alive than ever. You know, and I I may not be the finished article in many ways. I still have a few pounds to shed and and I know there's a six pack under here. It just hasn't quite come out yet. Um, And I still have so much to learn. And I'm working on all those things. But I feel alive and I feel passionate about fulfilling what God has asked of me. Have you got that passion? Have you got that excitement? Are you aware of what it is God's wanting you to fulfill? Do I get low, frustrated? Sometimes, yes, of course. But there's people in this church and people outside of this church that are encouraging me, cheering me on. You've got this, Tom, they're saying to me. The best is yet to come. Don't give up. My passion is to call greatness out of others, developing, mobilizing people, being part of fanning into flame what God has placed on their hearts, on your hearts. What is God stirring in your heart right now for this season. Pray it will be fanned into flame. That's our responsibility. And you younger ones, embrace tests and trials, difficulties, hardships. They'll be good for you. They keep us humble. They keep us rooted in Jesus, looking to him. These times will really throw up all sorts of Issues in your life that you need to address. And you'll grow in wisdom and character and you'll feel more alive. What is it that God is asking you to do? So many, something within this church, within your workplace, within your neighbours. And that's something that only you can do. And if you don't do it, no one else is going to. Get stuck in. Give it your all. Come on. You can do it. You've got this. That's what Jesus is saying to us tonight. Younger men and women, don't shrink back from these steps of faith 
whatever it is that the Lord's asking you to step out in. And for us older men and women, we, we mustn't shrink back from imparting wisdom and encouragement and responding to God's call too. We need to talk about the tests and the trials that we've lived through and that we've faced because they will bring so much encouragement to the next generation. And that means we need to learn to be vulnerable about our failures. Be those encouragers on the side of willing the next generation on. I just want to end on a personal note. I remember being that sailor, um, that, yeah, that, that sailor who was exhausted and nothing else to give, and I was sinking in the cold water. I could see the shore, but I couldn't quite make it. And this was 20, 21 years ago. My life's dream had come, had just gone up in smoke. It had come to an end. Two years of preparation had ended in failure and rejection. As I went through the selection process with the Church of England, and they said a big, no thank you. I was really devastated. And that's when John and Debbie came to Nottingham to plant a church. And here we are today in a thriving vineyard. And I found myself on staff and, th- and thriving. They saw potential in me and they cheered me on. And I found energy and motivation to respond because they believed in me. And I could not access that myself. I needed their encouragement and their belief. They invested in Helen and I calling us on to pursue all that God has for us. We've learned so much over these last 21 years. And it was great to see Debbie doing exactly that tonight on this stage. And that's what we're here to do. Those ones of us who are a bit further down the track, although for all of you, whatever age, there's always somebody to encourage. Maybe somebody younger. Maybe someone who's your own age. We're all called to be encouragers and never be too proud to receive encouragement. Real success will actually never be measured by achievements, but measured by God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So like Paul and Timothy, let's let's embrace being encouragers and let's not be too proud to receive encouragement from others. Come on. You can do it. You've got this. Shall we stand?